You, you can holler, you can applaud, you can scream, you can do anything you want. I can't hear you anyway. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Salt Lake Dirt Podcast. I'm your host, Kyler Bingham. Today on the show, we have author Gary Lippman, whose novel Set the Controls for the Heart of Sharon Tate came out just over a year ago on Rare Bird Books. Um, I got the chance to talk to him when the book came out for the, for the website, saltlakedirt.com, uh, but I really wanted to have him on the new podcast, talk about the book some more, uh, see what he's up to during the pandemic. So it was a really fun conversation. I uh, got some great recommendations from him, some amazing writing advice, which is always welcome. So stay tuned for that. Also, two things I wanted to recommend that have been on my mind lately. I just finished a book called City of Angles by William Loving. He's an author out of Pasadena. This was a really, really incredible book. It, it tackles homelessness and Different topics that I think are, um, you know, they're always, they're timeless, but uh, especially now it seems like uh, with COVID and everything, there's just a, a lot of weight on all of us. So uh, one thing I loved about the book is that it um, kind of follows elements of the Aeneid by Virgil, who I, which I had never read before. I never read it in high school. So uh, I got a few chapters in to the book. And then I decided to pick up the Aeneid and read it simultaneously, which was a pretty cool experience. So check out that book. Uh, I did a brief interview with him on the website, so you can check that out on the homepage. Also, uh, what I would consider a classic, Sarah by J.T. Leroy, uh, the audiobook. So Laura Albert, the author, uh, she just put out the audiobook, and I was surprised that it had never been an audio format, as, as far as I know. So you can get that now. On Audible, you can also get a CD version of it. Um, but this is one of my favorite novels. Uh, I come back to it time and again. Um, I think it's short. It packs a punch. It's a powerful read. And it was so cool to hear it read um, by an incredible um, voiceover artist. So check out those two things. I'll have links to the uh, both of those um, in our descriptions here. But without further ado, let's talk to Gary Lippman on the Salt Lake Dirt Podcast. Can you hear me? I got, yeah, got you now. Can you hear me okay? Cool. I can hear you. You're Kyler. Yeah. I'm Gary. Thanks I'm... <laughs> for having me on. Well, thanks for being here. Thanks for taking the time. My uh, pleasure. You know, you know, I'm greeting you, whereas I've seen you interviewed a bunch of authors in the past, um, my interview may be unique because the house where I'm staying lost all Wi-Fi from a storm last week. So I'm doing this podcast <laughs> with you from my car in a parking lot of a Barnes and Noble because that's the only place nearby where I can get a signal. Oh, wow. You're so I may be one of the more unique, uh, uniquely located authors for you. Well, I'm honored that you, that you didn't, um, yeah, that you- I'm honored. That's I'm cool. honored to do it as long as my phone holds up. It's fully charged. So. Okay, great. Well, let's yeah. yeah, let's get to it. So yeah, we have Gary Lippman here. Um, I I found out about you because of your novel, which I loved. Set Thank you so much. Yeah, set the controls for the heart of Sharon Tate. Now, um, 
maybe so is this your first fiction book your first novel it is it's well it's my first published novel i published a, or rather i wrote a bunch many stories and a few other novels as well that um i either couldn't sell or didn't try to sell this is the first one that i decided to put the pedal to the metal and go for it and really push to get it uh find an agent and she helped me find a publisher well yeah it's so it's yeah a, i've been i've been writing story. a lot before thank okay. you yeah so I did want to ask, and I think we touched on, on the online interview, but just for the podcast, um, the the whole angle on Sharon Tate, and it, it happened to come out on the 50th anniversary, right? The year. Right. So yeah. that wasn't planned, was it? Well, not really. I mean, I first began the book, believe it or not. I first had the idea for the book 30 years ago, a little less than 30 years ago. And I dabbled with it a bit and then put it aside and returned to it a few times over the years, then put it aside again. And um, finally, about five years ago, thought, you know, whatever happened to that, let me see if I can make another pass and, and finish it, which I did. And then about two years ago, I found my agent. So the, the, uh, aus the auspiciousness of the date of publication wasn't planned, but certainly when I saw it coming into view, I thought, you know, that's pretty cool, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, because we had the, the Tarantino film um, right. that, that came out. So there's a lot of, a lot of uh, revisiting that. I got kind of on a kick after I read your, because I didn't realize it was the 50th anniversary. So I read your book and then I was in Los Angeles in October and I did the, um, I don't know if you've heard of Dearly Departed. They do these, they do these oh, kind yeah. of like these dark tours over the like dark side of Hollywood. So they have one that's, uh, you know, all Charles Manson and Sharon Tate. So they take you all over, show you the locations, show you um, the property of Seattle Drags, the, you know, the homes torn down, but it, it was pretty fascinating. Then I went on the Helter Skelter kick. I didn't quite finish that, but I got, I got pretty far. So yeah. Um, I mean, I just love, I love the book and you, you said, um, cause you're definitely not, I mean, how do you pronounce it? A Sharon, Sharonophile, Sharonophile, Sharonophile. Yeah. Sharonophile. Yeah. So you don't really, you don't consider yourself a Sharonophile. Um, That's what they call I'm themselves, right? Wow. What's that? Is that what they call themselves? Well, I made up that concept 30 years ago when I first <laughs> had the idea for the book. I should mention that, um, when I was a little boy, and this is one of the very few autobiographical scenes in the book, which is mainly just imaginary, but um, one scene that actually happened was when I was about 10 or 11, I was watching TV at home in my house in New Jersey where I grew up, and there was a, a bad James Bond spin-off movie from the late 60s called The Wrecking Crew with Dean Martin. and um, I began watching it, you know, as an 11-year-old boy does back in the late 70s, or, well, then it was the early 70s, um, and a woman appeared. The lead actress had red hair, was gorgeous, but was also extremely charming and self-deprecating, playing a very kind of klutzy comic role, and I, I absolutely became enchanted by her, and Aside from maybe a few crushes in school of girls, I didn't really ever spark to women before. 
and I fell in a kind of entranced puppy love with this actress who I didn't recognize. It wasn't Raquel Welch, who was my main crush subsequently. It wasn't anybody I recognized. Um, so I waited until the credits of the film rolled to see what her name was. And when I saw the name Sharon Tate, I had already looked at the book Helter Skelter in bookstores. So I knew who she was and I was horrified because she was then only five years before murdered, horribly murdered. So I always thought that was a really, as I grew up, I look back at that memory as a kind of, kind of poetic one in a way, a horrifying but poetic one, where my first really serious taste of Eros was mixed with Thanatos, you know, where yeah. it's like, oh, I, I love this woman. Oh my God, she's been murdered, you know, so. <laughs> Wow. That memory stayed with me. I subsequently realized that Sharon Tate's day of being murdered was my birthday, my sixth birthday. Oh, wow. So it was actually, she was murdered around 1230 at night or 1230 in the morning. And I, um, I had been, um, uh, so it was just after my birthday, but you know how you consider it the same day if you're out late, you know, right. it's still Friday, even though it's past midnight if you're out partying. So um, I thought that was weird, that connection. But my only um, spark for writing the book came when I was in a bar in New York City in the early 90s, probably around 90, 91. And there was a gorgeous blonde bartender who I kept ogling from my seat at the bar. <laughs> and moreover, she looked really familiar. And I thought, do I know her from... Um, from is she an, looks like an actress or have I met her? Is she a model? And finally it dawned on me with another kind of wave of horror, Thanatos, you know, intruding on the Eros because I realized she looked exactly like Sharon Tate. Oh, wow. And, and I realized I'm not going to tell her that. I'm not going to say to her. You know, that wouldn't be a good way to uh, seduce anyone. No. Uh, I, so I, I tried to flirt with her um, as best I could without dropping the Sharon Tate bomb. Got nowhere with her. But as I walked home that night, I thought, wouldn't, as writers do, um, wouldn't that be cool if, what if, you know, you start thinking about ideas. And I thought, what if there was someone who was obsessed with Sharon Tate and maybe even had that experience that I had as a little boy, a kid having a crush on Sharon Tate, but what if unlike me who just saw that as a weird memory, what if a character got fixated on Sharon Tate and couldn't get over it and his whole life was built around loving her, which of course is an impossible love since she's gone. Right. And that got my fiction writer wheels turning. And I then came up with two other things as I walked home that night to my apartment. The first was, well, what would happen next? And then I thought, wouldn't it be crazy if this Sharon Tate lover, this Sharonophile, met somebody who was equally obsessed but with Charles Manson? That yeah. would be a bad match. <laughs> so so I, had, I had my protagonist and my antagonist. And, um, and pretty early on then I came up with the ending of the book. I thought how it would end. So um, I won't spoil that for any viewers. Uh, but um, I knew the ending early on. I thought that was it. Some friends of mine who are novelists or, or other fiction writers, story writers, 
tell me that they write without knowing what the ending will be. Even a novel, they don't want to know the end. They work toward the end right? Um, and create as they go. For me, even though I made up everything else as I went, I always knew what the ending would be. Um, so I wrote toward that ending and that was sort of a guiding, um, a guiding uh, star for me. I like, Sorry if I yeah, gave I like you a wrong approach. answer to that short question. No, that's great. I, I love that approach because I, I've heard, you know, I love talking to, to authors and hearing their process and, you know, every, every project can be different, but there's some common threads that, that a, a writer will stick with. But, you know, I've, I've, I tend to hear people don't approach it the way you just said often, but it makes, it makes a lot of sense to me because you have, I mean, you could just go on and on for, you could never finish a book if you, if right. you, if you, you know, if you don't reel it in somehow. So I like that approach because then you're not, you're not rigidly sticking to a point by point outline, but you have kind of a guiding post to get you where you want to be. Right. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's cool. You know, one, one of my favorite quotes about endings mm. um, is someone said that an ending of a story should be surprising yet inevitable. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah so, it's, it's so true. It? Yeah, and then yeah. you feel like as a reader, you, you know, you put the work in, you, you, if you're enjoying the book, and that's exactly what it is. You, you're shocked, but then when you're thinking about it, uh, it's exactly that. It's like it couldn't have ended any other way. So it, right, it's, exactly. It's great. Yeah, that's it's so truly cool. successful. Where you say, "I didn't see that coming," but that's the only way it could have been. Yeah. No. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I just watched a I watched a, a limited series on Netflix uh, last week called Caliphate. Just one season. It's out of um, oh, yeah. it's out of Sweden, but it was. I was so shocked with the ending, and. But it was inevitable, you know. In my in my mind, I yes. thought about I thought about it every day since, and it just I'm like yeah, that it totally that's the way it had to end. So right. it's yeah. a be beautiful piece. Um, I gotta thank you because I I, I struck up a, a pretty cool friendship with a, fr a friend of yours. She read um, our our online interview and reached out to me. So Laura Albert is, oh, a, yeah. is a good friend of yours. So that was yeah. yeah so I've been kind of talking with her. Here and I'm a, Are you I was do always a, a huge with her? Yeah, coming up because I, I think yeah. she she said um, her books are coming out in in audio pretty soon. Yeah, they haven't been in audio apparently. For, so, for your viewers who may not know, Laura is the real name of the writer known as J.T. Leroy. Right, who's yeah. legendary. <laughs> well, I thought it was I thought it was a joke, you know that um, she reached out and I thought it was just like a like a hack Twitter account. And it was really her because I'm a, I'm a huge fan of her work. I have yeah. all her stuff, so I was I was yeah. a bit taken back. So pretty cool. So she's thank one you for of my that. she's one of my best friends. And I'll say about her, even though there's so much controversy, um, and I'm sure your viewers probably know about um, the stories about J.T. Leroy. There have been books written about that right. that uh, 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 phenomenon, and there's a film, an excellent film made by. A friend of mine, actually, Jeff Foyerzeig, a film okay. that I hope you've seen called Author. Yeah. About yeah. the whole J.T. Leroy phenomenon. But Laura is not only an incredible writer, as anybody who reads her books knows, but she's a wonderful person. Mm -hmm. So I think she's going to be a great podcast guest. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for her. And I was, I think I was, um, well, during all the, you know, 
I don't, I don't like the word scandal, but I guess like during all that, I wasn't really paying attention to the literary world. So I came into it reading her stuff, knowing who she was. And I was like, right. I was like, well, I don't see what the big deal is. It's, it's a, it's a good book. It's good writing. So good writing is a good writing. Yeah. But I guess and she never, she never claimed it was a memoir. Right, right. She it's was, fiction. she was pilloried because people, you know, thought the authorial persona that she put forward in interviews, etc., did not turn out. It turned out to be a fictional one. Right. But she never claimed that her book. Her novel and her short story collection were 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 memoirs or or autobiographical uh, or strictly autobiographical. They were fiction, labeled as such. Right. So, um, yeah, I had read them and knew about the whole scandal before I met her. Actually, mm-hmm. we had a mutual friend who introduced us, and I was totally like, "What?" I I have a son who was brought up in Paris, France. Uh-huh. So I would visit him there a lot and go there. And this friend, before uh, a visit I made to Paris, this friend said, hey, when you're there, a friend of mine's going to be visiting and you should look her up. Her name's uh, Laura Albert, but she writes under the name J.T. Leroy. And I did a double take. Like, <laughs> you know, and I looked her up and we went out one night and in Paris and became great friends immediately. And now my wife and my son and everybody in my life are very close with Laura and I'm close Great. with her and her, her family and friends. And um, so I'm glad you know her, Kyla. Yeah. She's a great, great person and great I, writer. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I kind of view it like the greatest piece of performance art. Like the whole thing is just yeah. like, I'm a huge fan of Andy Kaufman and I know it's a bit different, oh, yeah. but I, I love, I just, I love that kind of approach where we feel tricked and it's like, how do you react when you feel tricked? Are you angry? Do you laugh? I think it can say a lot about a person, how the, how the reaction is. I think you're exactly right. That's a really great way of putting it. Um, exactly. And it does tell a lot of, it's a litmus test. If mm-hmm. people, yes. you know, can they, can they laugh with you or get uptight because they're being laughed at? You know? Right, right. You know, one, one phrase I heard someone say once when being mocked, was he said, "Hey, have a laugh on me. I'm glad you're happy. I'm glad you're happy." You know? I love it. Yeah. So yeah, unfortunately, people are so uptight about the Laura experience, you know, phenomenon, and and it was a scandal. But that film, author, that documentary, it was at Sundance some years ago. Yeah. Uh, produced produced by Vice, and um, it, it really tells her story from her perspective, really touchingly and and fairly. I thought. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a it's a great film. Um, I think it's yeah. on Amazon Amazon Prime. It was at least a, a month or two back, so people should check that out definitely if yeah. they haven't haven't yeah. seen it before. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, where are you based out of? Where do you live? I normally I live in New York City, but yeah. uh, my wife is Hungarian, and she and I live in New York. But when the lockdown started, we went up to upstate New York where our son um, was at college. And we, were, we went up there thinking we'd have to evacuate him from college, right. you know, that the college would shut down. He ended up wanting to stay at the college and they let him stay in a pretty safe context. So we just hung around up there. We rented a place, a little place that we fell in love with. And it, it was great to be out of New York City and um, in the country and we'd visit him. 
And uh, ultimately we rented a place more long-term, but it turned out to be a nightmare because, because not only did this place, we had to rent it sight unseen, you know, only mm -hmm. photos online, yeah. given the, what was going on. But when we got there, it's a place in the country, when we got there, not only did it have a mold problem, oh, no. it turned out, but there was a rattlesnake living in the basement. <laughs> Right uh, next to where my son was going to be sleeping, you know, the, the room we had. So um, they got the rattlesnake out, but I don't know if I would have. I'm not, in, I'm really kind of phobic about snakes. Yeah. So um, I was very, very uh, leery. But the mold, when we learned that the mold was there, that was a deal breaker. So yeah. at the moment, I'm living in my uncle's house. He let me stay in part of his house in um, Connecticut. Okay. This is where I am now, except this one town I'm at in Connecticut had the worst, it, can, this town was the worst hit of all of Connecticut for a tropical storm last week. Oh. A tornado tore through right through our neighborhood. So I finally got power back, but still no Wi-Fi. So it's crazy wow. to, to talk on my phone, to make any phone calls, the landline's out. I have to drive across town and uh, sit in parking lots in my car or <laughs> sit on the car outside yeah. to, to talk to people, to, you know, to connect with people. And my wife and son both went back to Europe. So um, I'm on my own, but um, oh, wow. I'm grooving on the solitude, reading a lot, writing a lot, writing a lot. Good. That, really good that was my next question because I've been, um, this is a pretty new podcast. So I've talked to five or so people so far. Um, just asking them, how are they, like some people are really, they're not able to read or write at all. And some people, yeah. I just talked to someone who finished um, their first draft that they sent to their, you know, their, their editor um, and it, it has a book deal. So she said it was, right. like, it was perfect timing for her because she was like kind of wrapping it up in March and she just like blazed through and finished the first draft um, about two weeks ago. And now she's, she's just kind of, like now what do I do now? Like the world's falling apart. So <laughs> I just don't, I'm curious how people are reacting. So that's pretty cool that you're able to focus on writing. Yeah, I have been, I've been working on a book of very short stories, you know, fairly, I wanted to do really short ones. And um, it's been probably for me, at least that's been, that's been cool because a long piece, especially if I were just starting one, you know, where you're still exploring and, and not entirely, uh, you don't have that forward march momentum, maybe at the beginning of a long a novel um, or memoir, that might be tougher, but the stories have, it's worked well. And I think, um, I think I'm uh, pretty much getting to the end of that. Nice. Of course, you know, the old quote though, a work of, a work of art, if you want to call it, if I could be so self-aggrandizing self as to call any, anything I write a work of art. But I think it was the French poet Paul Valéry who said, a work of art is never finished, only abandoned. Mm, you know? Isn't that true? So, yeah, so, you know, you do need, reach a point, I had it with the Sharon Tate novel of mine, where you just say, enough. Mm -hmm. you know? Sometimes if you have a friend who reads it, if you're lucky enough to have someone, an editor, a, a friend, my case, my wife is my first reader and I trust her implicitly. You know, she's got great taste. And she told me, you're done. 
send this to the agent, you know? No more, no more, keep, move on. So- No, that's good, that's good. It's good to have, even for writers out there, if you're struggling as I have with when something's finished, my son even is a, is a very good writer, poet, and asked me, when do you know something's finished? You never know, but you can decide for now it's finished and start sending it out. Right. You gotta find that sweet spot where it's, it, you've done, you feel like you've done all you can with it for now and you wanna write other things, so. Right. You know. Yeah, yeah you, I mean, you could tinker with it forever and make it and make it worse if you're <laughs> if you if you yeah, mess exactly. with it too much. I was uh, yeah. I was t- I was talking to a filmmaker, especially with a doc a documentary film. I asked this guy, so you made a documentary. I said, how do you know when a documentary is done? And he was just like something to the effect of when you're just you're so disgusted with it you can't even look at it anymore yeah Yeah. (laughs) says i can't look at it anymore (laughs) yeah i reached that point with the sharon tate book um especially doing interviews once it came out i'm still i still am happy with the book and and someday may go back and read it and you know maybe if i'm senile by then it'll be an all-new book (laughs) but uh but um you do reach a point of saturation, at least for the time being. Um, but new things occur, you know. Uh, you asked me when we did the online interview, which was a pleasure. I went back and reread That's that, and you had cool. great questions, and that was really a pleasure to do. Um, and what you asked me if I had met any or knew any Sharonophiles myself. Right, right, yeah. Um, which was a great question, and at that time I hadn't. Somebody I knew actually the director of the movie about JT Leroy, Jeff Forzai, said that he knew people who were obsessed with Sharon Tate um, if I wanted to meet them. But I kind of was sort of like, no, nah, I've, 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 I really don't want to, you know, I sort of, I wrote that character. I, I just didn't need to. But interestingly, I did a book reading in Los Angeles and there was a woman there, a very beautiful woman um, who has since very tragically passed away, a young woman, but uh, we stayed in touch. But um, to my amazement, at this book reading in Los Angeles, she was a Sharonophile herself. Mm. She was a collector of Sharon Tate memorabilia and um, a real fan. She wasn't, um, she, she had a whole life apart from that. She was just an interested collector Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, she also knew Sharon Tate's surviving sister. They were friendly. Oh wow! So she she had a uh, an incredible life besides, and she was herself a very talented writer. Um, I might as well say her name. Her name was Amy Hardwick. Harwick. She was okay. a writer, and and a few months after we met, she herself was murdered oh. by um, by an ex boyfriend who was a crazy stalker. But I met her at my book reading and she was very into Sharon Tate. She was an incredible person. She, as I say, talented writer and a lovely, lovely uh, presence. So uh, that was a crazy addendum to my novel and the publication of the novel. And, um, and I miss her and I miss Mm. the books that she would have gotten to write had she been able to live on. Wow. That's awful. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Man, yeah, that, I can see how with it, with this book, I mean, it's time to, <laughs> you know, you love it. It was a labor of love, but 
you want to move on to, to new things. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And my, my story, my stories that I've written don't have to do at all with Sharon Tate. Yeah. I'm done. You're done. <laughs> I've, 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 I've drilled that, you know, I've, I've mined that. I've, I've extracted all the ore from that mine. Yeah. You know, but, um, I go on admiring Sharon Tate as I think, um, uh, I've told, I've, I've say this to a lot of people. Um, I think that she, had she lived, I think she would have been a really successful actor. Mm -hmm. And I think she would have become really, really uh, successful. I think she had, not only was she, of course, a great beauty, but what wasn't so apparent, because she wasn't allowed to live long enough to really show this in her work, she had a great skill with light comedy, with, mm -hmm. um, with uh, comedy. And that film that I first saw when I was a kid, the wrecking crew with dean martin she really shows a very great touch with comedy and i mm -hmm. think she could have been uh like a julia roberts or a meg ryan you know right. kind of america's sweetheart and really had a great career and um and uh and it's a great loss whenever we lose an artist as well as a human being it's a double loss because mm -hmm. we not only lose them but we lose their work yeah the absolutely. work we would have gone on to do Right. Yeah. And it is like, I, I like, I like this book and then other, you know, other things like, like Tarantino's film I really enjoyed, but it is, you know, it's nice to humanize this person because I think so much of, of like, you hear the name and you just think of Charlie Manson, you know, crazy yeah. cult, um, you know, mass murderer. So I think it's good to, to have this kind of stuff out there that does humanize these people who are just kind of known for oh, yeah. something that I'm sure their families are just, you know, hard enough losing them that way. But then everyone in the culture knows them because of this awful event. So it's good right. to have stuff yeah. like your book out there. Yeah. In my book, as you, as you saw, I tried to have her be a real presence mm -hmm. as well, not just a subject of this, these crazy fans of hers, um, who are respectful of her, but who I take an attitude in the book that maybe they're, they're being such big fans of hers, um, maybe takes away some of her humanity. Mm -hmm. So I tried to have her voice there. Um, so in my book, as, as you remember, I have a lot about her life and, um, yeah. and, um, and, and her struggles because she had a pretty, you know, the, the tragedy of her death was not the only tragedy in her life. She had a lot of struggles mm -hmm. for a beautiful woman. She suffered a, her share in her 26 years of life. And yeah. um, so I wanted to represent that. And I, my goal was to be very respectful to her. I hope, I hope the book was read that way by people. Definitely. But yeah, by me, for sure. I could be completely. Well, thank you. Thank yeah, you. definitely respectful. Cause I, I mean, I didn't know what to expect when I, I picked it up. Um, I honestly didn't have any idea. I just, it just kind of intrigued me. So it, it, yeah, it was very respectful, not sensational. You know, it was, it was well done, you know, very tasteful. Thank you. So good job. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, are you writing, are you working on something now? Other than I am. I've never published a, I've never published a book, but I am working on a novel right now. So I've worked, I've worked on one for the last two years. So I don't know. It's, it's got a lot of work. I'm still, um, I'm still plugging away, but 
Well, you'll get there. I have a feeling you're going to do it. You're passionate about literature. That's obvious. And, yeah. and you know that you got to reach a point when the novel's done to yep. start sending it out. I know it's scary, but I know I got, I got to do it. And it's what I want to do. It's what I want to do forever. So this is, yeah. I'm, That's I'm beautiful. Yeah. So. That's great. I'm having, I'm having a lot of fun writing it. And I've, you know, I've, like I said, I've spent two years with it so far, every, you know, pretty much every day. So that's um, great. I'm just going to keep, and I haven't, I'm not sick of it yet. So that's good. That's a good sign. I guess yeah. I've been working for yeah. two years and not, not completely. I think, I think it's good to work every day or at least be thinking about it every day. Right. You know? Yeah. And really kind of live with it. I just read um, a writer. I just discovered a writer actually. I read a lot. And um, the two books I just, one I just finished, one I'm still reading, both impressed me. The writer I discovered is this guy named Jonathan Carroll. Have you heard of him? I have not, no. He, he wrote, um, he's not well known, but he's published like 25 novels. Oh, wow. And one of the first novel he wrote was recommended to me, and it's quite good. It's kind of a noirish uh, kind of fantasy, but very, very kind of unreal, surreal, strange funny novel called the land of laughs okay anyway i was reading about this author who really plugs away he's published you know to not a lot of acclaim book after book after book no a lot of acclaim from the people who read them but not mm -hmm. a lot of um um not a lot of uh, uh wide uh, widespread popularity right oh, sorry and he um he had a quote you got me there? I got your audio. Oh, okay, there you are. Sorry, there you are. Yeah, there sorry. You are. So he had a quote um, where he said something like, "A short writing a short story is like a one-night stand. <laughs> writing a novel is like a very protracted, deep, complicated marriage, you know? Yeah. I thought, that's, that's it. Like, I mean, that's... like you say, you're going two years. You know, my Sharon Tate thing off and on, my Sharon Tate project, 30 years. You yeah. Know, I was yeah. working on it most of those 30 years but um but yeah i mean you got to go deep in and working at least thinking about it every day is a good sign yeah i got um my buddy he he, he always says i think he i think he got it from some other author but he says uh, reading is like breathing in and writing is breathing out yeah uh, that's i love good. that yeah i love yeah, that yeah that's great yeah i'm gonna remember that one yeah. That's really good. I gotta, yeah. I'm going to check that guy out because I, you know, I'm always impressed with people who are able to put out so much material. And if it's good, that's, I mean, I, did, I just don't understand that on any level, how they're able to do that. And, and it's kind of beautiful because he's kind of known to the cognoscenti, you know, mm -hmm. the, the real true aficionados of literature. Um, and by the way, I, I just discovered this term. His genre apparently is something called low fantasy. Okay. Which is distinguished from, I guess, high fantasy because high fantasy is like Game of Thrones mm -hmm. or, you know, um, fantasy where it's a whole different world with its own rules and laws. Whereas low fantasy, for example, this novel of his I read, The Land of Laughs, low fantasy is our world but then weird stuff starts happening. Okay. So it's still, it's still a recognizable, recognizably our plane of existence, but right. then 
you know, a dog suddenly talks right. to you, you know? Yeah. And you go with that. So, yeah, his name again is Jonathan Carroll, C-A-R-R-O-L-L. Okay. And he's good. the other book that's blown me away, it's a real feast. I'm kind of late getting to it because it won the Pulitzer two years ago. Mm. It's a book called The Overstory by I've, Richard Powers. I've heard of it. I haven't read it. I haven't read it. Yeah, it's, I think that's a, it, it's, it's it, it's a great it's almost like a course in writing fiction because it's such a great achievement the problem is it's daunting for uh uh you know writers if you have any self-doubt as i do <laughs> you know you read that and think i can never do this man i can never be one tenth this good yeah you know and you know so it's a little daunting but then you just have to say to yourself as i've said to myself many times I don't want to be, I'll never be Shakespeare. I won't be James Joyce. What I want to be is the best version of myself I can be, you know? Yeah. And write the best book I can write and then let everybody go to hell. You know? <laughs> if people dig it, they dig it, but I'm going to write the best version of my own book I can yeah. write. And, and if Richard Powers can write rings around me, okay, that's his scene. Yeah. You know? Warren Beatty had a lot more girlfriends than I had. All right. <laughs> I defer to the master. You know? <laughs> I still have a reason to go on living and loving. You know? <laughs> no, it's true. And it's like, I think there's a place for someone who works really hard at their craft. There's a place for, for every one of those people, you know, yeah. to, to put their stuff out. And you're going to find people who love the book. I mean, I, like I said, I love it and I'm not the Thank only you. one. So there are people out there that, you know, Thank you. That's, we got to have all kinds of different books out there to, you know. Exactly. It, yeah. Yeah. That's what's so beautiful about it. And then, and another thing is that we touched on before, knowing when to finish, mm -hmm. you've got more books to write. If you're in it for the long haul, right. you got to finish, finally say, you know, kiss the book off to the agent, you know, yeah. say goodbye for now and work on the next thing. So yeah. you can amass like, try to be like Jonathan Carroll and keep churning them out, you know? Yeah. I mean, I love that he's published 25 books where he's not a bestseller, but he's just popular enough to keep the next one coming out. And, right. and I, I did really enjoy this first one and I'm looking forward to reading more by him. Nice. I'm definitely yeah. checking him out. It almost sounds like a, like Twilight Zone or Black Mirror or something, something like that. It's, I love it's, it. Yeah. And I love, of course, both Twilight Zone and Black Mirror. Mm -hmm. Um, I hear about a show, by the way, on Netflix, since you mentioned Caliphate, I'll check that out. Yeah, Friends have told me about a show, I wonder if you've seen it, called Dark, a German show. No, I haven't. Yeah, I hear that for people who dig Black Mirror and Twilight Zone, it's really good. I'll check it out, because I was, um, I've had a really hard time focusing during this whole pandemic, and so it did kind of, I've just been able to get back to writing you know but I think I, I there was like a good two and a half months where I just couldn't I just couldn't do it I couldn't read but one thing I've I found that's really helped me in the last couple of weeks I've been watching a lot of um series outside of the United States so different like, inter yeah. like foreign and that's helped me yeah. kind of like unlock my brain and I'm like this is incredible um yeah because I've always watched foreign films international films but I'd, I've never really sat down and watched series yeah. before so it's been it's been great it's one of the great things i'm discovering too about netflix mm -hmm. um a um 
a show I love. My son really got into it. Um, I, I have a friend named Bob Newworth, who's a, a cool cat. And um, he always, whenever we talk, he just tells me the latest foreign show on Netflix to watch. Yeah. So he got us into um, uh, Call My Agent the French show. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen that either. I got, that's another one for me. It's very funny. Some other friends mentioned that too. So that's a comedy, a French comedy. That's, that's really good and light. One very heavy show from Israel is called Fauda. Yeah. That was one of the, that was the, that was one of my first ones that I kind of binged. It's a great show. Yeah. You know, I heard my wife's, my father-in-law, my wife's father told me that, um, or told her and he, she told me that he thought it was very fair for the pal it's about the israel palestine issue and he thought it was fair to both sides i felt it leans a little more toward israel and you know not yeah. enough toward the palestinians maybe but um i have a friend who's palestinian I'd, I'd like to ask him what he thought if he's seen it you know i've heard it's very popular in israel though and among palestinians i've heard that i don't know if right. that's true but yeah, I was curious. Compelling. Yeah, oh yeah, R very fascinating. I mean, you know, they don't. That that is one thing I like. They don't. I mean, it's 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 made by Israelis, so um, they're going to have that angle. But they do show like the characters doing things that you know are really not the greatest. <laughs> yeah, oh, from yeah. their point of view. So, but it's they're a it's a, yeah. it's a great show. Yeah, um, I yeah. know there's a, a there's a documentary on Amazon Prime called The Real Fauda. Um, about oh. that guy because I didn't realize the guy the main actor he created the show too yeah I didn't realize that either my wife told me that and yeah. I think she yeah I'll watch that and um, I, you know I'm always fascinated by behind the scenes you know mm -hmm. like what with novels with albums with you know every every work of art you know what led to led to its creation so I would love that for every novel every I'm always fascinated by how the artists or artists created the work, you know, right. what went into it. Um, oh, by the way, my friend Bob also recommends, I've heard about it, a show people seem to love. I haven't watched it yet. Also on Netflix from Italy called Inspector Montal Montalbando. Okay. Montal Montalbando. People really love that show. It's set in Sicily. Okay. I'll check that out. Yeah, hey ben, so I got a I'm whole list now. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I would start watching some of these, you know, now that I'm um, alone for a while, but yeah. the blackout, the power outage. Oh yeah. And now I don't, you know, I don't have uh, the ability. So I've been reading a lot, mm -hmm. but the book, the other book I was going to recommend that I've been reading a lot lately getting through it is um, called the over, I mentioned it, the overstory right, right, by Richard right. Patton. Yeah. I can't recommend that novel enough. It's yeah. a real achievement. Oh, cool. You know? Yeah. Nice. So, so um, what are you reading lately? What did I read? Let, let's see. I'm reading, um, this is my most current one. It's called Gods with a Little G by ah. Tupelo Hassman. I'm not too far. Well, I got, I guess I'm pretty far into it. I was, I was really plowing through it. I, I like it. Um, it's about this girl kind of growing up in this small town, very religious. Um, kind of reminds me of like the town of like Footloose, but it's like, uh, I don't know. It, it's good. I think, it, I think it's classified as young adult, which I don't really, I don't really read a lot of that. So 
it's it's been right. a, it's been a, it's been a good one um i'm kind of like all over the place i have different like stacks of books and like i said i've been able to focus super well um well, you, you're also reading a lot of the authors that you interview right yeah yeah i try to read i, I mean i I don't feel good about interviewing someone unless I've read, unless I've read it. So I don't take on a ton of stuff. I take on ones that kind of pique my interest. And if I read right. it and I like it, I reach out. So um, I've, I've taken a kind of a break. I got a new book the other day. I don't know where it is. So I forget the title, but it's, it's from Rare Bird as well. Uh, yeah. Um, but I think the book is like five years old, but it just kind of struck me. Um, what is it? What's the title? I forget the title, but it's about, it's, I think it's kind of, and I might be screwing this up, but it's like a, a punk rock guy who's also like a detective. So it's like detective punk rock or something. I forget. Okay. Um, yeah, but it look, I'll have to put a, on this podcast, I'll put a, a link to that book too. Cause I, okay, I, I cool. like to link the different things, but okay. um, it sounded interesting. And I, I've, yeah. I love rare bird. Like everything they yeah. put out, I tend to really, really enjoy. So they're they're a great, great publisher. Yeah, they are. They they were really good to me. It was a pleasure working with them. Yeah. Uh, and I hope to in the future. Um, yeah, they're the editor. You know, the process for any writers out there, it's pretty intense when you've worked on the book. And um, I had an agent who gave me suggestions for the book, but then uh, my publisher, Rare Bird, had. Um, uh, the copy, the editor for the book had great suggestions and it was a real uh, pleasure working with her and intense, you know, mm. to, to have somebody make such suggestions late in the game and change the book. Right. You know, so uh, I ended up, um, let, she wanted to put the book, um, she needed to get the galleys made mm -hmm. to promote the book in such a way. So I had, um, I thought I had more time to do the last edit of the uh -huh. book, which is something like, I think it's 400 pages, uh, almost 400 pages. Yeah, it's, it's, my a, book. It's, yeah it's a big one. <laughs> yeah, so um, I had 24 hours to edit the entire book, knowing it would be the last chance I had oh, to go over it. That's and, brutal. Um, so yeah, I was staying in a hotel in Los Angeles, and uh, which was the hotel where the book was set, actually. Mm, nice. And, um, and I just, on pots of coffee, stayed up and just cranked away all night long, sitting in the lobby of the hotel. Um, and just cranked away at the book um, and then, you know, finally just crashed um, for a few <laughs> hours and then finished it. But it was a pretty dramatic experience to write like that. You know, mm. it was like Gonzo. <laughs> and, uh, great, you know, all's well that ended well. So it turned, I mean, yeah, it turned out great. So, I mean, I guess you, you, could, you could always like, if you're the, you're the artist, you're the writer, you, you could look back and be like, oh, I should have, you know, little things here and there, but yeah, set it aside. <laughs> you know, you know, I knew a, a German, I had a friend, a German rock star. I haven't mm. seen him in a long time, but a, a really fascinating guy named Udo Lindenberg, who's kind of like the Tom Waits of Germany. Oh, wow. Uh, he's an old guy now and a wonderful guy. And I asked him once um, about a record. He, I said, which, which of your records is your favorite? Because he's put it out. Mm -hmm. you know, dozens of albums over decades. And he said he never 
He never looks at each record and thinks, compares them. He just regards each record and thinks, that's where I was that year. You know? Oh, I love that, yeah. Yeah, it's great. As soon as he told me that, I thought how useful that was. And it not only is useful for your own work, you know, and think, so, you know, Sharon Tate, my Sharon Tate novel, years to come, I, if I imagine picking it up and kind of wincing at a word mm. choice or, you know, oh man, this scene goes on too long or whatever. Right. I can nevertheless shrug and say, well, that's where I did the best I could then, given yeah. what I had then. And that applies, I think, to relationships too. Yeah. You know, that, that girlfriend or that work, work connection or whatever it was, I was doing the best I could back then. I was, right. you know, that's who I was then, you know? No, it's, it's great advice. Yeah. Charitable way of looking at your life, you know, and your work. I love it. Yeah. So I, um, I forget, there's a historian that I really like, and he was talking about just different like statues and monuments that are all over the country. And I think, I think the topic came up because of like the controversy of removing certain statues. Um, and he, and he was, you know, he was for removing some of them and placing them in museums or whatever, but his, his idea was, um, those monuments or those statues, they say just as much about the time period that they were made than about like what it's referring to. So you have a lot of these were built in the 1920s when there was like a resurgence in the KKK and different things like that. So I never really thought about it like that. It's like these were, they're portraying things from the Civil War era or before, but they were created, you know, 1920s, right. 30s, 40s. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's interesting. You know, my response to that is I have a friend named Hui Dao in, um, in, who lives in New Orleans. Uh -huh. And uh, they were taking down the statue of Robert E. Lee from what's called Lee Square, mm -hmm. in or Lee, Lee Circle in New Orleans. And, um, and my friend Hui suggested uh, that they keep the name Lee Square, but instead of Robert E. Lee, they put up a statue of Bruce Lee. <laughs> I'm all for that. <laughs> oh yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Bruce Lee, who actually was friendly with Sharon Tate. Not a lot of people know that. Well, I guess that was in the movie. In the right? movie, yeah. I think, yeah. wasn't there some uh, controversy? Yeah. Like, like I mean, the way he was portrayed yeah. was, <laughs> yeah. was a, gr a great scene. <laughs> I actually, I, yeah, I had a little issue with that because I thought, you know, he he came across as arrogant in that Bruce yeah. Lee. Oh yeah, and I think, <laughs> and I, I think he probably was arrogant. The little I know about Bruce Lee, but he, I don't think he would have been arrogant that way. I think he, you know, there was a little Tarantino was taking a little license there. Sure. I think yeah. I think he was actually a really cool guy, Bruce Lee, and. Yeah. Um, yeah. And talk about another tragic young death. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how much I loved Bruce Lee when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> there really I know it, was a period where men my age, when we were boys, were so crazy about Bruce Lee and the whole yeah. you know, Kung Fu the movie Enter the Dragon. And, right. Uh, Is that the one with uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Is that the no, one? That or was, that? Uh, uh, that was called, that was, uh, came out after Bruce Lee died. It was called like 
Revenge of the Dragon or Dance of the Dragon or Return of the Dragon. Something, yeah. They were cashing in. They had shot that but not finished it. Uh-huh. Um, no, Enter the Dragon um, was was the last one completed before he died. And actually a really fun movie. Uh-huh. And that had... Um, Jim Kelly, who I think was a football player or a basketball player also. Um, and uh, that was, it's kind of a kitsch classic, Enter the Dragon. I need it's to rewatch cool. it. Yeah, my brother, my older brother was really into Bruce Lee. So I remember when I was just a kid, he'd have those on. So I'd kind of come in and out. But, um, you know, as a kid, you're just kind of mesmerized. I mean, because yeah. the, the, the special effects are not there. He's really doing all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty incredible. Yeah. He was incredible. You know, I'll tell you funny, I made a friendship through Bruce Lee because I was on a flight to Paris to see my son. And I had found like in a used bookstore, a little cheapo biography of Bruce Lee mm-hmm. from the early 70s. And kind of for nostalgia's sake, I bought it. And I took it out on this plane before we took off. And uh, the guy next to me was a Colombian guy and he said, oh, you know, when I was a kid in Colombia, I had that same book. <laughs> so wow. we began talking. And then something really trippy happened. This was back not that long after September 11th. So people were kind of nervous about flying. Mm-hmm. you know. And, and suddenly, uh, while this Colombian guy and I were becoming friendly talking, there was a ruckus, a bunch of rows behind us, where a guy started screaming and shouting and they ended up having to bring the police on the flight we wouldn't take off and they removed this guy by force right oh, wow and he's wow. screaming you know so this new friend and i this colombian guy and i looked at each other and like whoa thank god they got him off before we took off right yeah yeah <laughs> and we continue speaking and they announced that they're gonna take off soon so we're glad and then and imagine a look on my face kyler when the crazy guy who they had hauled off the plane 20 minutes later walks back on oh. and gets back in his seat. <laughs> he was totally freaked like, oh no, they cleared him. But now what's gonna happen? We've got like an eight hour flight. <laughs> you, need, you need Bruce Lee in that case, right? Yeah, exactly. Where was Bruce Lee when we needed him? You know? It wasn't even, it was a biography of Bruce Lee. It wasn't even like a guide to Jeet Kune Do, his martial yeah. arts form, like we yeah. could brush up on it. <laughs> we didn't have any wisdom there that we could use. <laughs> Fortunately, that guy didn't, I looked at him a few times, you know, when I'd walk back to use the bathroom, he slept the whole flight. <laughs> so, you probably had yeah, one too many, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but I was a really unhappy camper when that guy walked back on the plane. This friend and I, this new friend and I um, looked at each other and both went white, you know, like, oh, shit. I mean, why couldn't they put him on the next flight, you know, because he's going to, that's going to freak out everyone on board. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that dude must have talked his way or had some kind of credentials that were solid gold <laughs> because they took him off, you know, by force, you know. And, and <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to know what what that story was about, you know, how he got back on. Yeah. But um, it was it was totally, uh, you know, Bruce Lee's spirit looked over. (laughs) Must must be, must be. Well, great. Well, thanks, Gary. Um, 
My pleasure. Thanks Kyle. for talking to me. It's been amazing. Salt, are you are you right in Salt Lake City? Yep, I'm right outside of downtown Salt Lake. Yeah, I love that city, man. I've spent a lot of time. Oh, cool. There. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've been there city. many times, many Great. times. I've always had fun there. People are super friendly, and uh, and uh, so give my regards. I will, and if you ever pass through after all this craziness settles down, look me up. I'll look we'll... you up. You're now my only friend in Salt Lake City. Right on. Yeah, that's a, that's a good place uh, to be. I, I look forward to meeting you in person when this is all over. And in the meantime, thank you for for supporting my book and and being cool. And thank you for doing your great website and podcast great yeah i appreciate that most of all good luck with your novel man thank you i need it so that yeah that means a lot reach out to me and get in touch and uh, i'll look forward to connecting even you know just through email or whatever great okay but good luck and stay strong kyler thank you too thank you so much take care my man take care all right bye. bye